2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at
0: tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
3: Hey, this is Bridget. Hi, this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You.
2: And today, uh, we're talking about one of my favorite things, horror movies.
3: I can already see on your face how excited you are to talk
2: about horror movies. I am so excited. I am a grown woman who probably three times a week stays up too late watching horror movies.
3: You would think that's a bit unusual, but actually it seems like a lot of women are watching a lot of horror movies these days.
2: Yes. um, Americans have been watching them watching horror movies for decades, but in the last year, in 2017, horror films have had particularly big numbers thanks to movies like It or Get Out. And if you take any given horror movie in the U.S., statistics show that women purchased more tickets to it than men, which might surprise you. It is surprising. Yeah. But that doesn't include torture porn movies like Mm. Saw. That is a quick note. Do you like horror movies, Bridget?
3: I like horror movies. Well, first of all, I like all movies. It's, it's You'd be hard-pressed to find a movie that I don't like. I'm the person that, you know when you see commercials on TV for big-budget popcorn movies and you think, who would go see that? I'm like the middle America person that's like, ooh, that looks good. <laughs> I'm just happy to be at the movies. When I go to the movies, I'm like, I get my Twizzlers and my Coke, and I'm just, I'm just happy to be there. So, I like movies in general, but I also love bad horror movies. Kind of a thing that I enjoy watching. Oh,
2: me too. Yeah. Can we have a sminty horror movie night? Yes, and movie please. night. But... Ho- horror
3: movie meetup. Yes.
2: Ooh, there, there are some that I would love to like live stream on here. <laughs> maybe we can. Maybe we can pull that together. Um, one reason I found for why women might be seeing horror movies more than men um, is that women kind of have this low level. Fear that they're just living with more than men. Are you saying that being a woman is a little bit stressful sometimes, Annie? I'm saying it, it might, could be, possibly, maybe a little stressful, Bridget. <laughs> and horror movies are a great way, or at least in my experience, not everyone agrees with me, but for people who enjoy them and they're a good way to relieve stress uh, in a way that you can't in your real life. It's a fear that you choose and therefore you can control. And I remember an argument for... Um, why people like zombie movies so much, zombie things, and it's because it reduces the stresses of your life to this one terrible thing, but it does simplify things. (laughs) you you got to survive the zombies. Done, hopefully. Um, And to quote journalist Brianna Wu, horror movies are a world where money can't save you, privilege can't save you, strength can't save you. So they're kind of... I mean, in a perfect world, they're kind of equalizing in that way. Yeah,
3: I get what you're saying. It's sort of this fantasy world where we're all on the same playing field, um, even though, you know, one of the tropes in horror movies is like, oh, the black person dies first or, you know. And I think that it's important to recognize the way that tropes play out in movies like this because, you know, a lot of people might be saying, horror movies, this is dumb. Why is this a thing we're talking about? But actually, when you look at what we recognize as tropes in these kinds of movies, they can tell us a lot about culture and society and, you know, what we think about women.
2: Oh, absolutely. Horror movies, I think, and I am a fan, but I think they say a lot about society in general. And even though women, we're seeing these movies, but when it comes to behind the scenes, if you look at director, writer, producer roles, so on, women are very poorly represented. Um They're more likely to work in documentary or drama genres. That's a fun tongue twister. (laughs) Um, And least likely to work in action or horror genres. They accounted for only 12% of those working on horror, according to a 2017 study out of San Diego State University. The film industry in general, off screen and on screen, is dominated by men. On screen, these films are chock full of stereotypes and portrayals of women that are disparaging and negative. And historically, a lot of messaging and tropes, like you were saying, they don't do women any favors. And one of the most prevalent, the topic of today's episode, is the trope of the final girl. So
3: I can't wait to find out more about what exactly this trope is after this quick break.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please. Please.
3: Horror movie aficionado, yes. tell me about The Final Girl.
2: Okay, I would love to. Uh, I believe probably those who are familiar with horror movies, you you know right away what, what we're talking about without us, having, without us having to explain it. But for those that aren't big on the genre, it's the last woman standing in horror movies and specifically slasher films. The final girl is the one to confront the killer or the monster, whatever the thing is, after everyone else has been slain, and she survives to tell the tale. She's almost guaranteed to be a virgin, straight, white, probably brunette. (laughs) Um, She's usually chaste, doesn't really drink or otherwise engage in drugs, and is also... Probably rocking a gender neutral name. Yeah, Sam or Joe or Alex. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes. When I was a kid, I always wanted a name like that.
2: I did too. I wanted Will or Jack. I wanted Billy. Billy. <laughs> That's close to Will. I like that. <laughs> um, and probably masculine, well, not masculine, but masculine ish hairstyle. The final girl trope got its start in the 1970s, but it wasn't until 1992 that American film professor Carol Clover first coined the term in her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. Clover argued that in order to survive, the final girl had to in some way become more masculine, um, probably by adopting a weapon of the phallic variety. Like a spear? A spear or a knife, Um Something you stick in someone. Yes, <laughs> got it. Thank you for the gesture.
3: Bitches. In case I don't know if you know how it works, <laughs> that's how it looks when I do it. She's making stabbing <laughs> motions
2: towards me. <laughs> totally non-threatening podcast. experience yes. no, no, over no. Here. <laughs> i I'm, I'm totally safe. Clover interprets this as messaging of women needing men or needing to be masculine in order to survive this horrible ordeal they are going through. Laurie from Halloween, a.k.a. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, is one of the first and most pure examples of the final girl. And one of the interesting things about her is that throughout the course of this film, she uses traditionally feminine objects like a knitting needle or a coat hanger as her weapons of choice or necessity, probably is more accurate. Other famous final girls include Ripley from Alien, Nancy from The Nightmare on Elm Street, and even Sydney from one of my favorite horror movies making fun of horror movies, Wes Craven's 1996 film Scream.
3: Okay, so let's talk about Scream because it's one of my favorite movies. She's such a clever example of the final girl where it kind of spins the trope on its head to comment on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. um, And I love, they were so sneaky about it because um, Drew Barrymore was the biggest star at the time. And if you look at the cover, she's on the front.
3: Like, she's prominently—not just on the front. Yeah. They're all standing in a line, and she's, like, the first girl in the line, right? Yeah. Prominently
2: displayed. <laughs> yes. And she fits the the bill of what you would imagine a final girl is. The movie starts with her, but she dies within the first 15 minutes. She's
3: in the, Yeah, she's in the movie for, like, five minutes. Yeah. and She's it, sober, sister, yeah. and all the other girls are out drinking and partying— <laughs> So she's like the opposite of final girl, really. <laughs> yeah. What's the
2: opposite of final first? First girl. First girl. Well, she was first in the line. <laughs> that, it stuck with me. That was quite the brutal, brutal scene. Uh, and Scream also has a horror movie buff, Randy. And Randy, uh, he even directly speaks to the rules of surviving a horror movie. And a couple of them are, never say, I'll be back. Um, never do drugs or alcohol. Uh, for the love that is all, all that is holy in the world, do not have sex. Or show your boobs. Don't show your boobs. Once
3: you show your boobs, you're, you're pretty done. much, you may, you, you pretty much just crawl into a grave, right? Like, that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's
2: it. <laughs> yep. You're through. Another great example of a subversion of The Final Girl is 2012's Cabin and, Cabin in the Woods, excuse me. This movie directly addresses the trope too. So, there's this vengeful god, which I'm fairly certain is meant to represent the American audience. Um, and the final girl, Dana, she's chaste, she's smart, she's sexually conservative, pale brunette, is given the chance at survival, but only after making sure all of her friends died. And they're on this cabin, cabin in the woods, like trip. Um, and she has to make sure all of her friends die, and she is the final girl. And each of her friends fits the stereotype, too, but only after they were forced to fit into them through weird circumstances. So there's the blonde slutty bimbo, the dumb jock played by Chris Hemsworth. Ooh, he's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) The stoner and the sweet bookish guy um, that is the final girl's uh, sweetheart, of course. And it's, it's so hard to explain this movie without having seen it but basically like there's this government entity that's watching them through secret like security cameras making sure that they fulfill the prophecy of this final god.
3: Is that like, the plot of the movie? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it.
2: Full disclosure. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll spoil it for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Well, yeah, it's it's like this weird government thing where there's a god they have to satisfy the god by meeting this criteria. So the
3: the sweet girl has to wind up with the bookish guy, yes. and that's how she sort of say like that's how she pleases this this god who's watching above. And does that does that ensure her safety? Does that is that what allows her to get out of the
2: situation? No, she can either have sex or not, and she can either die or not. And it's actually really sad. There's a sad moment where they take bets. The government people watching, like, is she going to have sex? Is she going to die? Like, how is she going to die? And there's a moment where she's getting the crap beat out of her, and they're just watching, like, wondering, is she going to survive? And it's weird because you're, as the viewer, you're in that position, right? You're watching someone, when you're watching a horror movie, wondering, is she going to survive? And it's brutal. It goes on for a long time, and it's the same in horror movies, um, it is worth, it's worth a watch, but it's a strange one. And it also has the the virgin horde dichotomy of Dana, the final girl who is pure and innocent, but she's sexualized. But when she actually has sex, she is looked down upon. She's seen as less than she was. Just like in society. Yeah. Sounds very familiar. Bridget, you're, you're on my wavelength here. <laughs> um, and the person overseeing this whole thing, she's called the director, um, and she's played by Sigourney Weaver, tells Dana that she fulfills the virgin archetype, but when Dana is like, actually, I had sex, you know, uh, the director tells her, we work with what we have. Oh.
3: So it's also kind of a commentary on on these different tropes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't want to spoil it, but definitely check it out if you're interested. It does not sound anything like what I thought it was going to, to be like when he started <laughs> describing it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember the posters, but the posters said things like it was obviously a horror movie just through the decor and the whole feel of it. But it would say, like, if you hear a strange noise, separate. Like the opposite yeah. things of what you should be doing. Yeah, now
3: that I think about it, the trailers and stuff didn't, I didn't understand. Now it makes more sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a horror movie fan, it, it's, I very much enjoyed it because there's one part where like every horror movie villain ever is on display because it could be they kind of draw randomly what the villain is of what every year they have to fulfill this prophecy so they have this like case of every horror movie villain ever they could pull from I like freeze frame it like oh yeah that's funny oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh my god growing up what villain were you the most afraid of oh man the girl from The Ring Samara oh I saw that like right when it came out in theaters and I covered my TV I unplugged it I covered it. I unplugged the phone, and I kept getting in trouble with my mom because she'd be like, who's unplugging the phone? (laughs) And like seven days later, I was sitting in my room wide awake. This is the end.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty scary. Mine was Chucky. I'm I'm still unnerved by Chucky. I saw child's play in the theater when it first came out, so I was a kid. My parents were the kind of parents who like, was like I'm not paying for a babysitter. I'm bringing all the kids with the <laughs> yeah. You know, that family where you're like, you brought all the kids. Yep, that was us. <laughs> um, but I saw Chucky at a really young age, and my brother loved Chucky, so we had the doll and like the poster and all this stuff. Like he had mm-hmm. Chucky paraphernalia, and oh to this to this day, I find it unnerving. <laughs> I'm I'm like bothered by it as an adult.
2: Yeah, uh, that's some staying power. Those movies you see as a kid. Another one of mine that we'll be talking about in a little bit is Alien.
3: Oh yeah, oh, that's a that's a good one. That took years. When I when I think about Chucky, I mean, it was obviously as the movies went on, they were pretty hokey, but they illustrate something that you were just talking about, which is this weird mix between female sexuality mm-hmm. and horror, and also like maybe a little bit of camp because as the child's play movies went on, they had the one where um it's Bride of Chucky and it's a it's a grown woman. I think it's Jennifer Tilly. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. So it's Jennifer Tilly, and she's this sort of like throaty voiced blonde, and she becomes like she has a sexual relationship with Chucky, and they end up having a, a child in this in this later iterations of the film. And again, it's this weird thing where horror movies always present this very unusual image of female sexuality, and you know, in Chucky, you're like, is she f**ing a doll? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's interesting how a lot of horror movies always have, like, a sexy scene or something like that, that it's almost expected, and how they display female sexuality in this very weird way. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think you could extrapolate that and say that society sees it as that way, because at at their core, I think horror movies, they simplify the, the norms and taboos of society into if you break these, you will be punished. There are consequences for having sex outside of marriage if you're a woman. There are consequences for doing drugs or alcohol as a not 21-year-old, you know? So I think that's one of the reasons that I'm glad we're talking about this today is I think you can take lessons from that, or at least it gives you a a little snapshot of where we are perhaps as a society. Um, And going back to Cabin in the Woods for a second can we talk about Buffy the Vampire? Can we? (laughs) Can we ever? (laughs) Buffy is kind of the TV version of the final girl. Week after week, she's the last one after uh, fighting vampires or demons or whatever. Although, fortunately, most of her friends did survive. Um, In the final episode of Buffy, she's speaking to a group of potential successors, potential slayers, and she comments on kind of this whole thing directly. She says... In every generation, one Slayer is born because a bunch of men who died thousands of years ago made up that rule. From now on, every girl in the world who might be a Slayer will be a Slayer. Every girl who could have the power will have the power. Can stand up, will stand up. Slayers, every one of us, make your choice. Are you ready to be strong?
3: So every girl is an is a final girl in, yes. this, in this iteration.
2: Yes, we all have the power to be the final girl, and I just love the the line of. Um, Men thousands of years ago made that rule because I kind of think that's what the final girl is. Is this, the first scripts about these final girls were written by men, and then because they they sold well or um, they were popular, they just continued. All those scripts continued to be kind of the same formula. And now that now that we're kind of mixing it up a little bit and trying different things, we're seeing that other things could work too. <laughs> People might enjoy a different take, perhaps.
3: Yeah, and I think what that really shows is that we're ready for different kinds of storytelling, that we don't have to rely on one trope or one theme just because it was popular or successful. There are all different kinds of different stories that I think people want to see. I mean, look at the success of something like Get Out, which was very unusual, not quite like any horror thriller movie I've ever seen, and people loved it. And so I think that the industry can get very kind of stuck in a rut of telling the same story, the same types of story again and again and again. But then when a story comes and it's not like that, people really pay attention.
2: Yeah. And I think some nostalgia plays a role in that as well. Just people remember those movies as a kid and they want to kind of have maybe an homage or just that's what they liked so they want to recreate it and people keep recreating it. But yeah, I think we are we might be ready for something new. And uh, Buffy, before we move on, <laughs> she has another a great quote related to this where her boyfriend of the time, I believe, is saying they were watching a horror movie and he says, I want to know what happens. And Buffy says, everyone gets horribly killed except the blonde girl in the nighty who finally kills the monster with a machete, but it's not really dead. And he says, oh, really? And she says, I don't know, what movie is this?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, like, you can sort of... If you've seen one, you've seen
2: them all in a kind of way, so she's not wrong. Yeah, there's certainly, at the beginning, I I usually am like, probably not going to live, probably not going to live. I know there's even a table for like percentages based just on um, hair color, skin color, what they do. Well, that's like this movie House of Wax. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah.
3: So in that that movie, when it came out, this was in the heyday of Paris Hilton. That yeah. seems like forever ago, but whatever. It wasn't that long ago. That movie has a perfect example of a of a final girl, where it's the brunette girl. She's got to have a name like Sam or Joe. She probably doesn't, but like, she, yeah. you know, she could, she probably does. Like, don't <laughs> don't write in if she doesn't, but I mm. think she does. She wears like in the beginning of the movie, she gets like deer guts on her so she has to change her clothes and so she's wearing male clothes for most of the movie because her clothes get destroyed and so her brother gives gives her like his tank top that happens to be very sexy by the way of so it's a, it's a men's shirt but like somehow, luckily sexy. it just <laughs> falls perfectly I mean thank God um, so she's the kind of chaste, brown haired somewhat masculine you know uh, clearly being set up to be the final girl Paris Hilton on the other hand you know she's gonna die. Yeah. As soon like before you even see the movie, you, just you know see her she's name gonna die. On the cover. Exactly. You're <laughs> like they're definitely gonna kill her. She's blonde. She has like a sexy scene with her boyfriend in the movie. She's in an interracial relationship. She wears a pink tracksuit throughout most of the movie. Uh, she's kind of presented as the one who's supposed to be vapid or fast. And her death scene is gruesome. She gets a like a rusty pole through her head, and you can tell that the filmmakers are presenting this as a gratuitous death scene, yeah. almost like, you know, you guys know you came to watch Paris Hilton take a a metal pole to the head. Like, it almost seems to be, the gaze seems to be very gratuitous, as yeah. if the audience is waiting to see Paris Hilton die a, a bloody, painful death.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something we're definitely going to come back to, and it's just a, a weird kind of thing when you're shown this very violent death, and you're obviously supposed to like take pleasure in it. That's not why I like horror movies. <laughs> but um I guess I guess that's something other people enjoy. Um if we're if we're talking about the history of this, where did this come from? Um like we were saying earlier, you could argue that most horror movies exist to scare people <laughs> into following a certain set of norms. And the final girl. I would say, is no exception. They kind of serve as the everyman or everywoman. She's tough, resilient, and you root for her. I, When I was thinking about this, I'm, I was wondering if maybe she's the least common denominator of, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but she's the simplest way to get people to root for someone to survive. Most people can get on board with this person, this kind of watered-down, <laughs> safe character. Yeah, she's
3: not out there showing her boobs and yeah, oh, having heaven, sex.
2: Forbid. <laughs> heaven forbid, Bridget. All the other victims, like we were saying, you can point to why they died in terms of sort of a moral majority outlook, Um, the vices they indulged in, the mistakes they made. Um, Horror movies, all about punishing, especially young people, I would say. And when this trope emerged in the 1970s, the U.S. was in the midst of all kinds of political, sexual, and economic unrest. As feminism was rising, so was the backlash to it. And the common interpretation of slasher picks is summarized by, I would say, this quote from um, student of all things horror, Robin Woods. The violence against women movies have generally been explained as a hysterical response to 60s and 70s feminism. The male spectator enjoys a sadistic revenge on women who have begun to refuse to slot neatly and obligingly into his patriarchal... Patriarchically... <laughs> To say, yeah, patriarchally, there we go, predetermined view of the way things should naturally be in a male dominated culture where power, money, law, and social institutions are controlled by past, present, and future patriarchs. Women as the other assumes particular significance. The dominant images of women in our culture are entirely male created and male controlled. Women's autonomy and independence are denied. Onto women, men project their own innate repressed femininity in order to disown it as inferior. In general, the teenagers are punished for promiscuity while the women are punished for being women.
3: Well, that's just like what this film scholar, Linda Williams, says. She says, the horror film may be the rare example of a genre that permits the expression of women's sexual potency and desire and associates this desire with the autonomous act of looking, but it does so only to punish her for this very act only to demonstrate how monstrous female desire can be. And yeah. I have this great example in my head of this very weird horror movie that I, I saw as a child called Jack Frost. Have you seen it? I have not seen okay, that so one. Okay, so this is, this is going to be a little bit like your Cabin in the Woods explanation. So if you haven't okay. seen it, it's very difficult to explain. But essentially, it's a movie that takes place during Christmas time, and a serial killer is killed in the snow by being doused with some sort of chemical or acid. Okay. And his, like, DNA gets into the snow. You know how horror movies work. Yeah, for. Sure. Like, it doesn't make horror sense. Horror movie logic. Oh, don't, like, don't overthink it. Okay. He then comes back to life as a snowman, like a murdering snowman. Oh, no. And so because he's a snowman, he has the ability to like melt and refreeze, so melt into water, then refreeze into a snowman. Uh-huh. And Shannon Elizabeth, who you might remember from American Pie, uh-huh. in one scene, she's taking a bath, and I think she might be touching herself in the bath, and the snowman... This sounds like I'm making it up, but if you've seen it, you know I'm not, and go watch it and you can be like, you were accurate. He melts into water, goes into the bathroom, becomes the bathwater that she's in. Oh no. And then he basically violates her with his carrot nose. And that's how she's killed. And so it's interesting because the scene is shot in such a way that's exactly what this film scholar Linda Williams is explaining. Where you are watching like a beautiful woman in a bathtub you know, enjoying her own sexuality and her own sexual desire, sexual potency, whatever. And immediately after that, she is killed in the most gruesome, dehumanizing way. And it's played for laughs in the movie. Yeah. And so within the universe of this movie, the expectation of us the audience is you saw this beautiful woman having a sexual moment alone. You were sort of spying on her, and now she's dead in this horribly dehumanizing way. Isn't that a riot? You know, it's sort of yeah. it's sort of Exactly what she's saying, that because Shannon Elizabeth was shown within the confines of this film being a sexual person, that we, the audience, one, get to kind of leer at that, and two, get to watch her die in a terrible way because of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You could almost say that it's like, and I've seen this in other non-horror movies too, but um, just things like uh, female sexuality or... um, even periods, and Bridget knows I have a whole theory about about this, um, are seen as monstrous, or at least they're kind of like symbolized this this scary, monstrous thing. Um, And horror movies are just a perfect... (laughs) If you analyze them, if you overanalyze them, perhaps, like I do. (laughs) Um, And if we go back to the 70s, and this is one of my favorite examples, uh, in the U.S., as women are um, getting more power and exploring our sexuality, so many horror movies proliferated in response. And Alien is one of my faves, even if at the time, at the time I wasn't alive then, but when I was a kid, they terrified me, those movies did. I could do a whole mini series on this, on sexual imagery and symbolism and messaging in the Alien series, and I want to. And we should. We really should. <laughs> there are so many symbols of emasculation of the male fear uh, and anxiety of having to share equal responsibility of childbirth and childbearing. I'm telling you, you cannot see it.
3: This should be a whole series.
2: <laughs> I want to so bad. I mean, if we if we could live stream watching that, I mean, you'd have to be of age. But
3: <laughs> we need to do a mystery science three thousand viewing of alien where it's you and me the silhouettes of our head yes. making feminist commentary at the screen yes
2: ruining it for you forever <laughs> i love ruining things for people it's my favorite pastime i still love the movie uh, and it has it's like interesting to see from that time period kind of what was going on another thing to consider is that when you look at how the male characters versus the female characters are killed there is usually this element of torture or brutality involved in the deaths of the women that is not there and deaths of the men. And key, too, is how the killer monster, whatever it is, ha- what have you, terrorizes the final girl. It's kind of like you, what you were talking about, Bridget, that like we're expected to kind of enjoy this, like we're set up to enjoy it, but male characters generally get a much more uh, merciful death. Um, And another trope that dovetails with the final girl is called men are the expendable gender. And this is the idea that women automatically have the sympathy of the audience, while men don't.
3: Oh, in horror movies, they mow through men like they're not really people. (laughs) They, like, like, mow them down.
2: Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, no. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Uh, The Walking Dead's Negan sums it up this way. I don't enjoy killing women. Men I can waste them all the live long. <laughs> I, I didn't try to do a Jeffrey Dean Morgan voice there. That's probably for the best.
3: Yeah, probably. I, I want to hear this impression. We can we can take it off air. Okay. We can Perfect. do it off mic. Perfect. Uh, I think you definitely see this trope a lot in movies. And I think it goes back to this thing that Emma and I talked about once where it's benevolent sexism, yeah. where women are sort of put on the same level as children in terms of their helplessness. And so right. films tend to fall on this idea that, oh, the audience is going to sympathize with the woman. I've seen movies where the woman is pregnant but hasn't told anybody, and that when she survives, the audience is like, "Woof! Yeah, God, she's pregnant, you know?
2: Yeah. I I definitely think that plays into it, too, that the whole thing where women could be pregnant and that they're more maybe fragile. um, That, yeah, benevolent sexism is a great way to think about that trope, probably. (laughs) So, Annie, is the final girl, is it a feminist trope in film or no? I would say No. Um, it's still a trope that's written by men and largely for men, I would say. It's a reaction to feminism. Um, but, like, if you look at the use of POV shots of the killer or monster that's stalking the final girl, it demonstrates that we, as the audience, are still encouraged to identify with the generally male tormentor, the, the male force that is punishing or tormenting this woman. who's probably still masculine. So, all this to say, um, I do love horror movies, and just good to know the messaging you're receiving from the entertainment you like. And it's not all bad. Right, Bridget? That's exactly right.
3: This is actually changing a little bit. Let's talk about some of the ways this is changing for the better after this quick break.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com.
0: Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. We were just
3: talking about the final girl trope and some of the ways that trope is changing a little bit as we go forward in storytelling and movies and all of that. So one of the reasons why it's changing really has to do with self-awareness. We sort of recognize this trope as audiences, and we kind of want something that's more creative. I think just like with the example we gave with Get Out earlier today... I think we're sort of done with the same old stories that we always see, particularly in horror. And so I think audiences expect something different. They don't expect the same movies that we saw in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And so that's one of the reasons you find this trope not being as prevalent.
2: Yeah, and I will say uh, thanks to this episode for giving me some of the most fun homework I've ever had. Um, I watched a movie called The Final Girl, which was all about the final girl trope, and it was enjoyable. But I also watched so many movies that sort of play with that trope, a lot of them available on Netflix. Another one of the reasons that this is changing, that we're getting away from that, is that there are more female directors and writers and roles, more female stories. If the final girl is a product of the male gaze, then it seems like the solution is to get more women in the industry.
3: I come back to that as a solution to pretty much everything. Yeah. So even more women in the mix, whether it's the military, professional sports, whatever, it's always going to be better. And so one of the soapboxes I love to get on at Sminty is more women storytellers, more diverse storytellers, more inclusive storytelling. And I'm happy to see that more women are in the mix telling different kinds of stories.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too. A uh, study out of 2017 from Google and the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media found that in all genres of entertainment, men had twice the speaking and scream time, with one exception, horror. Uh, While traditionally that female scream time might have been those of the screaming victim variety, uh, but it has been moving towards more nuanced survivors and protagonists. And um, as someone who has acted in some horror movies, I can say that um, I get so many bad casting calls but they are, it has become less. I think there is an increased awareness, perhaps out of, to- actually, almost absolutely out of totally selfish uh, means, but I'm glad to see it is moving that way. Still, still some work to be done, absolutely. but
3: As always. Yes. So this has been really interesting. As someone who hasn't really spent that much time taking apart the horror movies that I watch, it's interesting to think about how these movie tropes do kind of show us about how women are seen in society.
2: Yeah. And um, I do want to mention some some examples, some, th- some movies that are good um, examples of how it is changing before, we, before we're done here. Raw from French Director. It might take a bit of a strong stomach, but it's good. Um, the Invitation, Babadook. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and it follows. They, um, all these films have female directors and female main characters, and but they might have a final girl, but she's a more complex final girl. So if you're interested, I believe all of those are on Netflix. And um, as advertisers and studios realize the buying power of, of us ladies, um, the shift towards a more complex storytelling, especially involving women, has started to take place. So that's that's good. That That makes me feel better as a horror movie fan. I'm excited for that content to be made.
3: I just realized something. As a girl with brown hair, if we were in a horror movie, you might be a final girl. <laughs> just saying. Oh, no. I mean, oh, yes? <laughs> I mean, you're going to live. I'll definitely die. You're going to live. <laughs>
2: We'll make a Sminty horror movie and we'll we'll flip the tropes all upside down, Bridget. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. It's like
3: Buffy will all be the final girl. I like it. I love it. That's a great feminist message to end on. It is. So Sminty listeners, have you seen this final girl trope playing out in movies that you like? What's your favorite example of a final girl? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and we love getting your emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com
2: Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip
0: at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This
2: episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter.